thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you, Jess. Well, I'm now actually going to invite Danyan up. Danyan, welcome. Woo! It's a double act. I'm just going to invite Danyan up to... Um, to read the scripture for tonight, and um, I don't know, I wasn't, I was down in the other room, so I don't know if we, if we know, but today is Pentecost Sunday, um, and that's what Daniel's going to be speaking on. Acts 2, 1 to 21. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they had heard the loud, loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear that their own languages were being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native tongues. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other areas (laughs) of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own tongues about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 others, um, other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. <laughs> Though what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your, son, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on the servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoa. Yeah, go Daniel. I gave him like one minute's notice and um, he hadn't read that passage before, so he did well with all those, um, those placenames, mate. Thank you. Um, yeah, kia ora. I am Tommy. So good to be here this evening and see all your smiling faces. Um, and, and happy Pentecost Sunday. Um, yeah, someone was saying when they came in, like, happy Pentecost. And I was like, I actually have never heard someone say happy Pentecost Day. Um, but it is worth celebrating. Um, and tonight I'm going to try and give a very sort of crash course in the Holy Spirit, a little bit about Pentecost, and then sort of get out of the way so um, Lance and the team can come up and we can worship and just invite the Spirit to come and and fill us afresh. And um, all going well, we might even be home by 8.30 to watch the new series of The Chase, um, which which may be a priority of mine. Um, I've got my timer on here, so I've I've timed this night perfectly. Um, So we'll just, yeah, we'll see what the Spirit wants to do, but we'll just go from there. Yeah, so um, 
as we were as we were just, uh, sort of reflecting on that that passage, that, you know, Pentecost is something that is worth celebrating. Um, we read in Scripture that. Uh, the, the followers of Jesus had been gathering together and praying after Jesus had been sent up to heaven. And it was about 10 days that they had been waiting together and praying and seeing what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, and then the Spirit fell. So prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had been on earth, but it had sort of come and gone and visited and inspired people and given visions, but it had never actually dwelt within all believers. So when the Spirit comes in full force, there is this real confusion as Daniel said, like, they were like, yo, you're all drunk, and then Peter's like, it's not even nine in the morning, like, yeah, wait till at least, like, 9.30, um, and he tries to convince them that, 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 that there's actually something really powerful going on here. Peter also sort of, he jumps into this, um, this sermon that he, he pulls on passages and, and theology that Jesus had been teaching the disciples while he'd been here on earth, um, and one of those main things that Jesus tries to, um, to say to us through the Scriptures and that Peter tries to pick up on and then throughout the New Testament they, they add to is that the Holy Spirit um, isn't actually this disembodied power or, or, um, or sort of force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, and if we just flick to the next slide. Yeah, I brought slides today as well, please. I think, yeah, that is worth celebrating. And the other thing is I'm standing. Usually I'm sitting, so this is a new thing for me too. So, um, so go me. Um, <laughs> So we, we read in Scripture that the Holy Spirit grieves, that He intercedes for us, that He testifies, that He speaks, that He creates, um, and that He has a mind. So He is a person. He is not a disembodied force. He is, he is actually a person. And having a clear understanding of, um, of who the Spirit is and what His purpose is is something Jesus spoke often about. In the hours leading up to his death, we find Jesus in the upper room, and what he speaks about most is the Trinity and promising of this, this coming of the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason probably for that is Jesus knew that when he was going to be ascended up into heaven, um, he, he, he knew that the people that surrounded him you know, were probably unlikely to fill out the task of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth without some help. You know, he was surrounded by tax collectors and, and salty fishermen and, and other people that were sort of equally um, unable to do the work that, that Christ um, had set out before them. There was no way they could do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. And there is no way that we can do the same work that God has tasked us to do without the help of the Spirit as well. So how does he help us? Can we just chuck to the next slide? And then the next one. Cool. So the, the Spirit helps us um, in a number of ways. One of those is empowering us to overcome spiritual opposition. Yeah, yeah, Jess. Um, the Bible says that our struggles are, are not with flesh, but against powers and, and principalities. And spiritual, um, supernatural things need a supernatural response. And that's one of the reasons why we have the Holy Spirit. He equips us to do things that we can't do in our human form. He enables us and helps us with the preaching of the gospel, the Spirit inspires us and gives us prompts and, and gives us times where we can, we can talk about Christ. He convicts us of our sin. He tells us where we're going wrong and where we can right ourselves with God. He comforts us in times of trials when we're grieving or when we're sad. Um, the Spirit, that, that feeling that we sometimes have is that it's the Holy Spirit comforting us. And He advocates for us. The Bible says that, that the Spirit advocates um, on our behalf to God. Put simply, the Holy Spirit is the spiritual authority we rely on and call on to do the work of God here on earth. And we can't do the work of God in our own strength. 
the Spirit falling at Pentecost uh, essentially was the birth of the church because it meant the Spirit was here and the disciples were able to go out into the world and do what um, God had tasked them to do. Can we go to the next slide? Cool. So I just wanted to um, rush through a little bit of theology here. Um, this is just a brief sort of crash course in the theology of the, the Trinity. And um, I don't know if you guys have spent much time thinking about the Trinity, but it is um, like a little bit of a mind boggle. Um, so so he, let me try and explain it and, and probably make a really bad job of that. Um, the Spirit is able to give us power because He's connected to the Father and the Son. So we worship one God and a God, but a God who exi- exists in three separate forms. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even though He is distinct from the Father and from the Son, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Son. The emission is so united that they are one in their shared redemptive activity. So the Father and the Son are separate but one, and together they are God. Are you confused? Yeah, that's all good. I was a little bit confused too. I think the, the main point is that when we feel the Holy Spirit and we see the Holy Spirit, we are interacting with God. That is what makes Him so powerful. Thanks, Jess. Can we go to the next slide, please? I think maybe more importantly than trying to get our heads around the Trinity is, um, is understanding that God's Spirit is a sign of His, um, His purpose and a reflection of His love. All throughout the Old Testament, we read that God's Spirit is found uh, in the temple. It's in the Holy of Holies, um, where people were not able to go um, without a rope tied around their waist. At Pentecost, there is this massive change, and the Holy Spirit finds a new home, and that new home is our bodies. Bricks and mortar are no longer the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Um, Instead, He decides to dwell within us. If you just chuck to the next slide. Tim Keller says this about the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes down on you in fullness, you can sense your Father's arms beneath you. It is an assurance of who you are. The Spirit enables you to say to yourself, if someone is all-powerful as that loves me like this, delights in me, has gone to infinite lengths to save me, says he will never let me go, and is going to glorify me and make me perfect and take everything bad out of my life, If all of that is true, then why am I worried about anything? Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lonely, says this of God. He doesn't just meet us, he doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tries of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Or as one other poet said um, that I discovered today while doing some research, God and I have become like two fat people in a boat, bumping into each other and laughing. I really love that image. You are the reason that God got out of bed this morning. Bumping into each other is something that he longs for. He wants to know you. He wants wants you to know that he loves you. Being close to God's Spirit, being close to the Holy Spirit and allowing him into our lives, um, changes our hearts. And there's this beautiful passage, if Daniel was to keep reading, um, there's this beautiful passage following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It sort of fast forwards um, a couple of weeks, and it says that the community of believers that were there um, has grown, and that they are, um, it's quoted, they're filled with awe, and they're living together, and they're breaking bread together, 
and they're devoting themselves to prayer. God gives us His Spirit because it's a sign of His love. It's a sign of His intimacy with us. But it's only through His Spirit that we're able to love like Him here on earth. God loves you. And I know some of us, when we, when we hear that God loves us, we hear over and over and over and over and over at church. It's in our liturgies. It's in our worship. And I think often there is a voice that's telling us, surely, surely not me. Surely that's the other person. Surely that's um, Esme or surely that's Brooke or surely that's Connor. That's not me. And I, um, yeah, I just really want to challenge that thought as you're sitting there maybe with a list of things that you think precludes you from God's love that actually know like God loves you. And that is the, the core of our faith, and that is the core, I think, of the Holy Spirit, is that He comes to show us God's love. He comes to transform our hearts and to, to bring light into our lives, um, not because just because um, that's what He wants to do. It's because that's what He's designed to do. He, he's designed to bring the love and the light of God into our lives. I know certainly my heart becomes hard. Brooke and I were praying this morning um, in the prayer um, space, and... Um, and yeah, I just felt my, we both reflected afterwards, we're like, oh, our hearts are feeling quite hard. But it's, it, we noticed that through inviting the Holy Spirit in, like your hearts get a little bit mushy. And so tonight, as you're here, some of you may have hardened hearts, particularly if the Spirit has been something that you have like experienced in church, and it's been something that's been used as a, as a weapon, um, which some churches can unfortunately do, where you can feel quite bruised and manipulated by how people have spoken about the Spirit. Um, and yeah, I just invite you to open up um, if you can, to the idea that the Spirit does want to melt our hearts tonight um, and to touch us afresh on Pentecost. So how do we walk in the Spirit? Um, just chuck to the next slide. Oh, you already have. Crazy. Um, so the Bible says uh, that all who give their life to Christ will be filled with the Spirit. So basically, um, it's a freely given gift. It's not for special people. Um, if you've given your life to Christ, then it is accessible to you. Sometimes when people give their life over to God, there's these massive um, physical and, and supernatural things that happen, um, as we saw in Acts. You know, the words used in NIV to describe what happened at Pentecost um, is that people were left amazed and perplexed. It was that, it was that massive. Um, Peter, obviously, as you know, had to convince the crowds that people weren't drunk. Um, the physical symptoms of the Spirit falling, as some of you might know, can be quite extreme. Um, certainly in my case, um, the experience of the Spirit is, is a lot more subtle. Um, I found listening to the Spirit similar to sort of tuning a radio. Um, sometimes I get a bit of static. Other times I hear, um, you know, a little bit of more FM. Um, and other times I hear things more clearly, um, thankfully. Um, yeah, I think, I think more often than not, the Spirit is subtle and is gentle. And I often find that it's like a nudging or a prompt. And so instead of, um, yeah, flames falling on my head, I feel prompted to maybe turn left or turn right, to maybe ask a question, to not ask a question. And I also know Christians who have like really deep and rich faith, who don't really feel the Spirit much at all, but they've sort of learned to trust um, and, and lean on the understanding that the Spirit is working, whether we sometimes feel that or not, whether we know it or not, that the Spirit is working um, as well. So if you're someone that hasn't really felt like uh, the Spirit move in your life, then that's okay too. I think there's sort of three things that um, that probably help us when we are trying to find the Spirit and live in the Spirit, uh, and that is uh, regularly reading the Bible. 
um, regularly praying and regularly asking the Holy Spirit to help us. And that's why things like uh, prayers and seasonal guides and all those things that we do, we don't do them out of ritual, but we do them because they are a way of um, finding opportunities to allow the Holy Spirit to keep um, bringing life into our lives. Brooks Dad recently used the analogy of a sponge, which I quite liked. We are the sponge and the Holy Spirit is the water. We need to be continually soaking up his essence. And that was the reason why we are created. God wants us to know his spirit, to be comforted by his spirit, and to be fired by his spirit. So soon we're going to move into a time of of praying and and just asking the spirit to come. But I I first just wanted to share a story of, um, yeah, of of what can happen when the spirit moves. Um, So I just want to close your eyes or whatever you want to do, but pretend you're in Scotland, um, in the middle of nowhere, it's probably raining and snowing, um, and it's 1949, and there's these two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. Now, I think Peggy is 84, and Christine's 82. Peggy's completely blind, and Christine has um, severe arthritis, so she can't really stand up straight. Um, and these two sisters, they lived in um, what was called the Outer Hebrides, so it's sort of like in sort of the end of the earth, um, pretty much, at the top of Scotland. Um, and they were poor, and they lived in this little cottage near the sea. And each night they would pray together. They were really um, solid Christians, and they really believed that God was, um, was able to work and work miracles. And one night, one of the sisters got this verse. And the verse says, I will pour water on this thirsty land, and stre- I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. And along with that, they had this vision of young people filling into their local church. Now, like, their church is like this little village where there's, like, no one around. But they they were really convinced that God had given them this vision and that this vision was possible. And so the next morning, they called, like, the local pastor down to their house and are like, we've had this vision and we actually believe we need to start praying for it. And so the pastor's like, well, what do you want me to do? And they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll sort of strike up a deal with your apathy. If you and the elders in your church go down to the other end of the village in the barn and you start praying at least two nights a week, we'll pray from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning and just pray into like this vision and just see what might happen. So basically, like these two women in their 80s, they, they managed to, to rouse um, some of the elders to, to start praying. And a few weeks pass, and nothing really happens. Um, but they, they continue to pray. Um, and then one night, this young deacon, so like a sort of up-and-coming um, priest in the church, uh, is praying with the elders down the other end of the village. And um, he sort of closes his Bible and sort of... And, chucks it on the ground, and is like, I, I don't think this is working. We're praying about this vision, and nothing is happening. And then he's like, perhaps it's because we haven't got right with God. Like, maybe we need to, to repent. And then he prayed, according to um, people that were there, God, you are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And then he dropped to the ground, and as he crumpled on the floor, and the room was filled with the Spirit. And when I say filled with the Spirit, it was like apparently really filled with the Spirit. At the same time, other villagers who were, um, who were, who were not at the meeting felt the presence of God fill their house. And then so the intercessors then leave the barn and they're walking down the road and they see people out on the street kneeling on the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had their lights on. It was obvious the Spirit was starting to do something in this village. Um, this great book, Dirty Glory, which we've got in the library. Pete Gregg talks about this. 
And he says, I'll pick off, uh, pick up where um, I left off, that the following morning after um, the Spirit had sort of started to move in this village, they, they asked for um, a minister to be sent from Edinburgh, but particularly that this minister could speak the native Gaelic language, which I think is like quite special that they, um, particularly uh, in this country, that they were like, yeah, there's something happening here. We want to speak the language of this land. Um, and so they get this guy called Duncan Campbell to come out. Um, so it says, a preacher by the name of Duncan Campbell was duly dispatched and made his way north. By the time he reached the village of Bravas, the church was packed with inquisitive locals wanting to make sure that they didn't miss out on whatever peculiarities might happen next. What happened next is a holy thing, and I write about it even now with a sense of awe. It was as though the Holy Spirit began moving in the building. Many in the congregation actually cried out as if they were in physical pain. Some people arrived at the church after midnight, having been woken at home with an irresistible urge to come to the meeting. That first meeting continued until four in the morning, and Duncan Campbell himself had only intended to stay in the Hebrides for only ten days, but remained for more than two years, travelling from place to place, praying and preaching everywhere he went, leading countless people to Christ. Can you go to the next slide? So that is um, Peggy and Christine. And they started um, the Hebrides Revival. It sounds kind of crazy, a little bit woo-woo, but um, there's people that, um, yeah, are still alive that were there when the Spirit fell in the Hebrides. Can you go to the next slide? So this is the crew, uh, a couple of Easter camps, um, not Easter camps, camps, um, blueprint camps, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not in youth group. Um, yeah, and I was looking at that photo of Peggy and Christine, and then I um, started looking at this photo and was just thinking, you know, the, the Spirit of God um, wants to move. Um, Peggy and Christine, they were just unremarkable, faithful people. And it wasn't by their, um, their power or their might that the Hebrides had this revival, that, that thousands of people came to hear the good news of Christ and to, and to live in a different way. Um, and so tonight, I just want to reflect on and challenge us. Um, what is it that this crew could do in this room, not just tonight, but going forward in our lives, if we were to, um, to be rooted and, and, um, and strong and... Uh, and connected to the power of Pentecost, to the message of Pentecost. Not that the Holy Spirit is here, um, God's Spirit is with us, and we like a liturgy, but actually God's Spirit is here, that He dwells within us, and He dwells within us because He loves us, and He loves you, and He gets out of bed for us, and He desires to be close to us, and He desires for His Spirit to actually change our lives, not just fit into our lives. And so I just want to um, invite the worship team up. And uh, yeah, let's just close our eyes um, and just spend a little bit of time um, just asking the Holy Spirit to, to come. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for Pentecost, Lord. We thank you that your Spirit fell. We thank you, Lord, that your Spirit now dwells within us. Holy Spirit, we just pray for a, a refreshing of your spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, we just pray for the big things and the small things. We pray for, um, for revival, but we also just pray for a quiet stirring. 
Lord, um, if it is your will, uh, then Lord, then send your spirit and might. But also, Lord, if it is your will, then send your spirit gently, Father God. Let your spirit speak to each of us, Father. And Lord, would we cast away any ideas or any thoughts that we are not worthy? Father, would Pentecost remind us that you desire to be intimate with us, to be close with us, to dwell within us, Lord. And Father, like Peggy and Christine, would we pray with faith, Father God, and would we move out of the way and let your spirit move. And so, Lord, we just also ask, Father, that you forgive us for the ways in which we get in the way, for the ways in which our hearts become hard, Lord, for the ways in which sin gets in the way of seeing you clearly. And Lord, we just pray, Father, for those of us that have been wounded by people that have used your spirit against us. We just pray for healing this Pentecost Sunday too, Lord. Amen.